0: You grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of First John. You'll find that letter in the very back of your Bible, just after Second Peter and just before Jude and Revelation, close to the very back. I'm privileged today to preach First John chapter two, verse nine through eleven, in our series, the letters of John. Um, we're very committed here at Disciples Church to preach God's Word faithfully. Um, expositional preaching to really not try to get clever with it with uh, you know thematic sermon topics but God's word is life-changing so it's my job to preach it faithfully and get out of the way let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life and we're so blessed we're thankful we're recently out of a very long a wonderful journey through the letter of Ephesians uh, and now in this new study and the letters of John um as we look to the themes of, of truth and certainty and love, uh, some of the mega themes we see here in God's providence to give us these letters, um, what a joy it's been so far. I mean, some of you said, man, it just gets right to it. Praise God. i um, thankful for just the way he got ordained for John to write this letter, the blessing that it is to us still today. God's word is at work. Um, I just want to say thank you for your prayers. Uh, for me being out last week, if, if, those of you who know me know that I've got to be really, really in bad shape to miss Sunday. Uh, I, I was shaking in the middle of the night, Saturday, a couple times going, I can still make it. Um, and uh, so, Steve did a wonderful job. I'm blessed by that brother. Thankful for uh, his work in Philippians. And uh, personally just encouraged myself by last week's sermon. Thankful to be back with you today. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet I look forward to doing that Um, God's doing awesome stuff in our historic church in our 130 year of ministry God's just at work in marvelous ways we're excited to be um, serving him and making much of his name today we read John's ongoing emphasis uh, to love um, and not hate uh, to walk in the light and not in the darkness Uh, what it truly looks like to know God and to honor him with our lives. so look with me at this passage and um, trust that God has good things for each of us today as we do. First John chapter two, verse nine through 11. "Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The context of John's words here are that there were false teachers uh, promoting the idea that you could know God, you could be good with God without Jesus, essentially. Uh, John continues to emphasize uh, that People's testimony of disobedience to God's law or hatred towards others in the body of Christ was evidence that they in fact did not have a redeemed relationship with God through Christ. Um, He's correcting these, these false notions and belief that there's lots of ways to do this to be okay with God. Much of which we still face today. People we love or know. Maybe even where you find yourself in your own journey today as we arrive at this text. John is highlighting that a true Christian knows God and walks in the light, both in the fact that they obey God, as we've seen earlier in the chapter, and that they love their brothers and sisters, as we see today, and as John's going to continue to emphasize. Uh, This is one of those uh, parts of preaching that's a little tricky, because John is going to continue to cycle back to this point to really drive it home. And so as I hope to be um, extra mindful of just the fact that we're going to return here, it's, it's something that I believe God's going to continue to work in us. And there's layers to these things that we'll dig into as we uh, reach different parts of the text. So there's parts of this that you're like, man, I'm surprised we didn't get to that today. It's because there's more to come. Um, the false teachers were deceived to, to, to claim that they could be in the light while they hated those that belonged to Christ and John says it's a clear sign that they indeed did not belong to God look with me at his first words here in verse 9 whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness we must first see that there's nothing new or controversial about this according to God's holy word um, John has already said clearly in 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Old Testament prayer that David says in 2 Samuel 22, verse 29, speaking of the spiritual light of God that dispels spiritual darkness, he says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. John also says in 1 John 1, 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie, we do not practice the truth. Intellectually, light is truth. Darkness is deception, ignorance. Morally, light is purity and righteousness, and darkness is evil and what is self-serving. God's word is clear, church, that in 2 Corinthians 6.14, that light does not have fellowship with darkness. The reality to which one belongs, according to what John is saying here, is not known in their proclamation, but in their action. That's his point. There's people who are saying they are good with God. But what we're seeing what we're looking for is the evidence of that according to God's Word, to reveal the deception, to reveal the lie that they themselves are believing or that they're promoting that others, hey, you can can be good with God in these other ways. Let's go further into this verse. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. John starts verse 9 with whoever says, some of the other translations say, Anyone who claims anyone who claims that they're in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. So what have the false teachers claimed? We've seen so far in this letter, 1 John 2.4, they claim to know God. 1 John 2.6, they claim to live in God. And 1 John 2.9, they claim to be in the light of God. So they're claiming to have a relationship with God, intimacy, connection, but they don't have evidence that they are truly reconciled to God, as Scripture is clear, very clear, that we only have a relationship with God, reconciliation with God, through Christ alone. John has already said clearly in 1 John 1.7 that those who have been cleansed of all their sin by the blood of Jesus are the ones who walk in the light. As He is in the light, And they have fellowship with one another. True followers of Christ should indeed claim to know God. For this is perfectly good. As long as it's true. What makes it true is that that person belongs to Jesus. Sadly, what's happening then and still happening today, many people claim to know God, claim to be good with God, Um, and they're doing this on their own terms. Or they've been led falsely to to believe false things. They've sat under false teaching or heard someone say, and they grabbed onto that. Um, Their reality, the reality is that many prove to show that they are indeed not reconciled to God because they hate those that God has saved them to love. They, 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 they hate those that God calls us to to, to to love as He's loved us, and then because that's not there, it's broken. Church, see with me this morning just how passionate John is about love and hatred for others. So much so, he's again he's going to speak to this again and again in this one letter, which is to bring emphasis. For example, in First John chapter four, a couple chapters later, verse twenty, very. Poignantly says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Let's let's break into these layers a little further and talk about hate for a moment. When we hear that word hate, we most often think of a, a deep, even violent animosity that creates a a very palpable and and distant separation from others that is often paired with a, a deep ill will towards them. That's hatred. But what we must understand is that for hate to be hate it doesn't have to be that aggressive. Jesus spoke in this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 22. He says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. There's layers to, to hatred at work, being excluded, reviled, slandered. I mean, that's not violence, that's not murder. It's not total isolation. So there's a variance to which hatred can play out. And I think John is thinking of hatred maybe in a less extreme form here. Because And the reason why this is important is because sometimes I think we can, we can see that word hate. And we're like, oh, that's not me. I, I don't hate these people. I mean, that, that's that's something really, really vile. And that's not where I'm at. But, but maybe there's a layer of hatred that is at work that we do need to see is incompatible with what it means to be in Christ and something to take most seriously and we are to love our enemies think about that for a moment those that are aiming to do the worst to us we're to love them so surely then the quality of love that we'd have for the brethren family of God would be all the better right So that means hatred for a brother is is real, but it doesn't even have to be extreme to, to be a gross misrepresentation of the gospel that is to be at work in the redeemed. Understand with me, John's emphasis on hate here is really more about a failure to love others like Christ loved us than it is to want someone dead. So let's be careful not to dismiss the warning here in others or in ourselves because it's not violent. 1 John 2.9 Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Christian, what you say is not enough. It is what you do that proves who you really belong to. Just because someone claims to be a Christian doesn't mean they've died to self and now live to Christ that they belong to Jesus a savior and lord we all have those people in our lives that claim to have to be okay with god or have faith in god but show no real fruit or evidence of saving faith and that they don't obey god's law there is not a fervor in them to honor their lord they really still are lord of their own lives they're calling their own shots and there's also a, a lack of love for brothers and sisters in the body that the scripture says is there when god gives you faith awakens you spiritually the love of god at work in you so we know people like that surely we all do but what about you I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. Do people know that you're a Christian because you say so? Or because they see the light of Christ and the love of God at work in you in ways that are clearly him and not you? In verse 10 and 11, John's going to go further. He's going to give both the positive and the negative of the application of what he's speaking to here. Well, let's, let's go there with him. Look with me at verse 10. 1 John two ten. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Understand with me, love and hate have no alternative. There's not like a third path. It's one or the other. Just as light and darkness don't have an alternative, there's no middle ground. Spiritually speaking, there's no gray area. You are in the light of God, illuminated, spiritually alive, or you are not. You're in the darkness, alienated from God because of your sin. John's point here is that you will reveal on the outside what you are spiritually on the inside brother or sister in Christ that truly and faithfully loves his blood-bought family proves to be of God as there is a real abiding and remaining in the light. True faith gives us an endurance. This is good news. And it's a big part of what we're going to see throughout this letter. I'm excited about next week. We turn to a layer of certainty. It is so important. John wants his brothers and sisters in Christ to be certain of who they are in the Lord. And so I think a lot of times many believers are lacking the right certainty. and, and Because we don't think about these things biblically and right, the way God has said they really work. But if you really belong to Him, there, there's an endurance. It, it, he doesn't have an okay batting average with those that He saves. Everyone He saves, Scripture is clear, you will endure to the end he doesn't misfire jesus didn't jesus blood didn't count to some people who in the end are not redeemed not washed clean every drop every part of it is perfectly used in god's sovereignty and so there is an abiding there's a finishing there's a remaining that the christian has are there seasons of struggle or stumbling sure none of us are perfect this side of glory while sanctification and growth and maturity should be happening, there's still a serious struggle. But there's a remaining and abiding in the light. And I love John's emphasis here when he says, in Him there is no cause for stumbling. The good news is that when you and I walk and live in Him, in Christ Christ, in the light we have nothing to trip over that's good news in the same way the love of god at work in the redeemed means that those around us have nothing to stumble over too that we've put there in sin in other words there's there's no offense we make for them because we are truly loving them when we live in the love of God that's selfless and truthful, we give our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, no reason to be tempted or offended unless they are giving themselves to sinful or selfish deception. Jesus warned against people who caused offenses or temptation in others. He said in Matthew eighteen seven, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. It is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Paul likewise warns the the church that we should decide to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Romans 14, 13 The love of God at work and those who are truly redeemed means we will love each other so much that I, we don't put sinful temptations or stumbling blocks before them. And that's wickedness at work, that I would have a gripe or a beef, and so now I want to see you fall, right? See, see the self-servingness of that, the wickedness of that. No, the love of God in us doesn't long for that for each other. Even when we're, our expectations are not being met, even when maybe we're even being mistreated, the love of God overcomes that. Now, there's something careful we need to have here because I think we can tweak this verse and make it say something it's not. What this doesn't mean is that our, our truthful love won't be hard to be received at sometimes, right? Or words sometimes love in truth is hard to receive, and someone who's having a hard time hearing it might call foul, right? So what we don't need to do is look at this verse and go, this is a stumbling block, you're doing this wrong, because I don't like it. No, not if that love is in truth, right? And, And God's Word gives us the marker to know if it's truth or not. It's not ethereal, we don't have to guess at it, we can test it. God's Word is clear. We are to speak truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 So our love needs to be genuine, not fake or hypocritical. It needs to definitely not be people-pleasing. In our flesh, we're guilty of loving people the way they want to be loved because of what that gets us. That's a self-serving thing. That's not the love of God. The love of God honors God It loves in truth Even if that's hard We honor God in how we love And therefore we don't get caught up in doing Or saying what people want us to say Just because it makes them happy Right Often what is most loving and truthful Is hard for another person Because of where they're at in their journey so when John says there's no cause for stumbling, he's not saying that love is to avoid truth if the other person's going to struggle with it. Okay, we don't, we don't read that here. That's not what this is saying. Uh, all-too-common uh, example of this might be how parents would bend the way they should rightly love their child, kind of give in to what the child wants, And in the end, that's not really loving the child. Um, We can't, in the name of love, just do what the other person wants. In the end, that's far more detrimental for them than to love them in truth. Right? That's to really love somebody. So again, when John says there's no cause for stumbling, he doesn't mean the person has to like the way you love in truth. It means when you truly love them with God's love, you give them no temptation that's sinful. Nothing sinful or wicked to stumble on. Nothing that leads them to darkness. No, your love for them points them to the one who is the light, Jesus. Before we move on, notice John's emphasis on abiding here. This is a... Consistent word we're going to see, and such an important one. There's so many days, church, where we can become guilty of just kind of going through the motions. And if we belong to Jesus, if these days are His, then we need to be abiding in Him. Uh, the illustration of the vine and the branches is, continues to prove to be such a blessed one, in that you know it, Christianity is not just plugging into the vine, getting kind of a charge of, it, and then we go out and try to do it a branch apart from the vine doesn't grow fruit. So our, our Christian journey, our days, our hours, is, is a cling to the vine that is Christ. It's a deeper devotion to Him. Christian growth is not out. It's not, I need to be more self-controlled and patient. That, that's, a, that's a man-worked thing. That's, that's religion. Christian growth is into Christ. Your heart Your affections, your longing, your passion is for Jesus. And as we cling to Him, trust in Him, obey Him, God produces fruit in us. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you. are, Are we abiding? Are we clinging to Him? Are we fixed? That's what abiding means, to remain to endure, to be steadfast. Is there a, a walking with Him in it all? Your long-standing, ongoing testimony is not one of sinful hatred towards others. It's, it's loving. That's, that's the fruit of an abiding relationship in Jesus. This is John's point. For those of us who belong to Christ, we don't aimlessly try to find a way our way in the darkness. No, the light shines in our path, and we navigate the path of life in ways that honor God. In John eight, verse twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. For the Christian, the love of God lights the way. Beloved, do you see this at work in your own life? Do you rejoice that you no longer are are trapped or stuck or caught up in trying to find your way? But you now have the Lord. You have illumination. You have His written word. You have the church, the bride, shepherds to help you mature and grow and light the way walk in Christ who is the light Christ at work in us means his love is illuminating our life and that will have an overflow unto those around us John's highlighting these truths in what he's saying here look at me at verse 11 whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes only a person that lives in the flesh ventures into the darkness to reveal hatred towards a brother a person who stumbles often because he or she can't see where to go What the right thing is lacking that illumination John says whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness he's saying the evidence of your hate reveals your true spiritual state The motivation to hate is really the work of the flesh and not the spirit. Hatred towards others reveals a fleshly perspective of them, not a gospel one. Let's break into that a little further. Hatred looks to justify oneself. Its aim is is to protect the ego. So it gets really upset. It, it, it's fueled by the flesh. On the other hand, when we see others with a gospel lens, we're reminded that they're not more, any more righteous than we are apart from the cross. the One is grounded in the Lord and moved to love. One is grounded in the flesh and very defensive and offended and stirred up all the time. When someone hates another, it's because that person doesn't meet their expectations in probably a pretty big way. Whereas the one who is truly in Christ is satisfied and complete in Christ. And so they still show others love Even when reasonable expectations are not met. This is because our love is not based on their performance. It's based on Christ. And Christ's performance was perfect. Amen? Right? And so I love others. I even love my enemies. Because of who I am in Christ. Because I'm grounded in Him. I'm satisfied in Him. The, the world doesn't understand this because the world is enslaved in sin to darkness. They don't have that illumination to see or know the love of God. All they know is, is the flesh. And the flesh wants vindication John says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. The practice of hatred towards others is evidence that the heart is still trying to find its way. And so we get really offended when that gets messed with. And, and he's saying this is evidence you're still walking in the darkness. You don't know the illumination of Jesus. Jesus. Evidence that they have not been liberated by the light. Their identity is not grounded in Jesus and it's still trying to find its way in itself. Christians, we rightly hate things that are sinful and that God hates, that are against God and His glory. But we have a true sacrificial love for sinful people because of Christ's work in us. Because even if they're being totally wicked, we see that their greatest need is for Jesus and not for corrective aggression birthed out of our hatred. The gospel motivates that in us differently. Notice the spiritual diagnosis that John speaks of at the end of verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's a reality of the spiritual condition of this person, dead in sin. hate their brother because they walk in the darkness they don't know where they're going the darkness is blind to them they're spiritually dead they're spiritually blind is the way the scriptures speak of this they do not see or savor jesus jesus makes this very point very point john 12 35 jesus said to them the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going they don't see there's no spiritual illumination Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Jesus said in John 12.46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. The negative side of what Jesus is saying here, that whoever does not believe in Him remains in the darkness. What he's referring to is the reality of our sin. The judgment of our sin is death and darkness. All unregenerate people, people who are apart from Christ, still Lord of their own lives, are darkened in their understanding alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart that's Ephesians 4:18 very very well said to speak of our depravity and sin in John 11:9-10 Jesus said are there not 12 hours in the day if anyone walks in the day he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He stumbles because the light is not in him. Because they lack the light of Christ. They're dead in their sin. All of this comes back to a person's true standing with Christ. Their their spiritual reality. Are they dead in sin? Spiritually dead? Or spiritually alive? Christ? for those who are dead in sin, the ways of Christ are offensive. Um, The um, exclusivity of the gospel is offensive. Uh, And so there's just this constant stumbling because of sin, and and even stumbling over, over the truth of Christ. Right? Jesus is offensive. This is Peter's point. First Peter chapter two, seven through eight. For those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to. So Peter's speaking a lot of the sovereignty of God, the reality of those who are not saved, who are who are dead in sin. And speaking of the reality that Jesus, who's become the cornerstone of the believing, of the house of God, is the very one that unbelievers stumble over. He's a rock of offense. Here Peter is quoting Psalm 118.22, making the point, Jesus is the cornerstone for the church. But at the same time, he's also a stumbling stone for the unregenerate. And then in verse 8, Peter quotes Isaiah 8.14 here, the verse that is read. He's emphasizing that all who do not repent and believe in Jesus as Savior are guilty in their sin and disobedient and, and are destined to stumbling, which leads to their eternal condemnation. They stumble because they disobey the Word. The Word here is the good news, The gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the good news, proclaims that only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. It's Jesus' words, right? John 14, 6. And yet it's the very plumb line in the middle of this argument. People are going, no, no, I have this relationship with God, even though the evidence of my life, my hatred for others, my disobedience to the Word says otherwise. The very gospel proclamation of our Lord says otherwise. It it depends on who you are with Jesus. There's not another way. Jesus is the only way. I I want you to see the exclusivity of the gospel. We're guilty sometimes of making it more inclusive than it is. I mean, it's really the danger of what these false teachers are promoting. And in one hand, let me make sure I say this, because there is a truth to this. The gospel of Jesus is is very inclusive. Why? Because the most wicked person, the most evil, vile human being can be saved, forgiven, set free by the blood of Jesus because of the grace of God. Right? That's amazing. That's why grace is amazing. But, but that doesn't mean that getting to God is this wide road, this real inclusive thing. No, it's actually very exclusive. It's very sharp. It's very narrow. Why? Because there's not many ways. There's one way. There are not many saviors there's one savior right this is one of the biggest ways the lost or the unregenerate stumble over Jesus words or over the gospel of christianity because of its inclus because of its exclusivity i mean our culture just if you just look left and right is is just on a dead set path to make everything okay Everything gets to be included. I mean, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous how fast culture is running after that. That very approach to life is war with the spiritual truth of what is love, what is truth, what honors God, is Jesus, is the gospel. It's it, what is life. It's not all this other stuff that the world's promoting You find your joy, your identity, your happiness in this stuff. That is the deception. That is the lie of the devil at work around us. And so Christianity is guilty of even much of Christianity or churches or Christians are guilty of even climbing into a thinking where we remove some of that exclusivity and we we soften it thinking somehow that's going like to make it a little more uh, um, appeasing, a little more attractive. But you, you don't make the gospel. You don't make Jesus more attractive to someone who's dead in sin. It comes back to the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord. They have to have their heart illuminated. have to have spiritual life. So we don't help things to put aside Scripture and to kind of talk with people we love or people who are around to kind of soften this thing thinking somehow it's going to make it a little more accessible to them. No. They need to see the reality of them being condemned and guilty in their sin, understand the bad news, to appreciate the good news. They're forgiven. Although they didn't deserve it. The blood of Jesus is what they lean on and nothing else. And so so there's ways that this shows itself. Even in this First Peter passage, um, I want to highlight one of those things that, that comes up, that, that we struggle with. Um, but just see with me that the culture, and people kind of want to say they have a good relationship with God on their own terms. They want heaven their way. They want to define their own right and wrong And in the end, they don't really show any real conviction or belonging to God. What we have to see is, like John's saying here, that's evidence that they're on the broad road. They want to widen it. They want to make it feel a little little more accessible. Want to live and love and hate whomever they want to. And they'll say, hey, how dare you tell others what they should or shouldn't do. That's offensive. That's intolerant. But the gospel of Jesus is offensive to those in the darkness. That's the point. Because they're not spiritually alive. It's folly to them. It's not good news to their souls. They don't believe, so they stumble on Christ instead of build their lives on Him notice in this first peter chapter 2 verse 8 example I just read they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to Did you catch that they were destined to do this the unregenerate are destined The Bible tells us that God is sovereign meaning he is over all things That means there's nothing outside his power or his rule or his reign sovereignty of God of Scripture is absolute. It is irresistible. It is infinite. There's not as some layers of Christianity and even what I believe back in the day this notion that God kind of sets it all in motion and then he takes his hands off of it and hopes that we respond rightly. That's not a sovereign Lord. That's an impotent God. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the God of a, of, of a, of a Christianity that's tried to massage out the message and make it a little more seeker-sensitive. When we say that God is truly sovereign, we're affirming His right to govern the universe. It's His right. He made it. He rules it. Colossians says that everything that continues, continues by His decree. The molecules in the very chair that's holding you from lying on the floor right now is working because God ordains it to be so. That's phenomenal how big our God is. Right? He, so therefore, he, if he's sovereign, he's more than allowed to choose whom he will save and whom he won't. Who will receive grace and mercy and who will receive wrath and condemnation for the sin they commit. There's not some external standard that we put on God that He has to follow in order to make Him just. No, God Himself is the standard. And therefore, what God does by definition is just and cannot be called into question. God is perfect and holy in all of His ways. That means what He reveals about how He works is perfect and holy we often talk here at disciples that God is to be worshipped for his attribute of wrath as much as he's to be worshipped for his attribute of love. It's only in our minds that we want to like change these things and relayer the deck and rebake the cake. And it's like, no, we want to see God as He reveals Himself and honor Him and worship Him biblically, rightly. Many people reject the idea of God's sovereignty over salvation, that He chooses to save some and not all. It's to say that it doesn't sound just. God would destine some to be elect and some to not. The Apostle Paul uh, addresses this very specifically in Romans chapter nine. I want to read that to you quickly, Romans 9:14 through23. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means? For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says that Pharaoh to Pharaoh, this is the very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. You say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? These are good questions, huh? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath, a worthy attribute to be praised forever, and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, destined to be so, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. What I just read you is not a commentary on the Word of God, meaning it's not someone's idea as to how God works. Right? No, what I just read you is the Word of God. God's ordained Word. Romans chapter 9. A sad reality as to how we we soften and we and we dilute these things. A sad reality when talking about Romans nine is most churches never preach Romans nine. You'll have pastors do a whole um, tenure and skip preaching Romans nine. Why? Yeah, this doesn't adjust very well for people, right? Or, or they or they don't agree, or they or they don't understand it, and and it's like this is God's word. The, the, these, this is who He is. This is how He works. And if you're struggling with the biblical truth about God in His election in this way, and His sovereignty and His rule this way, consider the greatest act of unjust cruelty and suffering in human history. The execution of the only truly innocent man to ever live. The Bible tells us is the predestined will of God. Acts chapter 2.23 This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, You can say, if God is the one ultimately over behind these things, how is He not guilty in sin? If He's ultimately behind all these things, then how is He not accountable? In the reality, Peter says it clearly here in Acts, that those who crucified Christ are the ones guilty of the sin they committed. Even though God predestined it to be so. He remains holy. Sinful man is still guilty of their crimes because they did what their sinful hearts wanted to do. The actions of men to kill innocent Jesus were evil. Those who did this were entirely responsible for their actions. This is true even though God intended Jesus' death, planned it before time, for the unspeakably amazing good purpose of bringing His people to salvation and glory to Himself. When Peter says those who are stumbling over Christ as a cornerstone do so because their hearts are full of unbelief and disobedience, we have to see human beings are responsible for their sin, and they sin willingly. This is true. What is also true is that they're destined to disbelieve. The fact that God reigns supreme and sovereign over all things. How these two marry together is not fully given us, but one does not negate the other. The temptation to abandon one to appease the other is the sin of man to try to bring God down to our level and make it work out. No, He is holy. He is God. We walk by faith in Him. We trust Him. We obey His Word. We speak about how He works according to His Word, not according to what makes me feel better. We believe the Holy Scriptures. So, Maybe you're saying, what got us here this morning? And and looking at Peter's words here about destined to be so, God's sovereignty, all these things. Why did Peter even speak about that? He's doing that to bring comfort to the readers. It is good news to us, church, when we see it rightly, that God is over all things. That in the middle of great opposition and persecution that we might face, God's never undone. He's never stuck in a corner. He's never following someone else's rule book. We walk in and we trust in Him, in His promises, in His power. He is on the throne. Nothing can overcome Him in His perfect will. We are His chosen people, His elect exiles. We fight with a firm grip on our living hope, on God, on the resurrected Christ. Jesus, the cornerstone. We do this as even though many around us might falsely claim to be good with God in light of their actions prove to still be in the darkness in their hatred for a brother, the disobedience for for the word. Again, look with me at the end of verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The reality is there are many whom we love who are still blinded in the darkness what we don't do is declare to them that there's something they're not just because they say so what we also don't do is give up hope that it might be God's will to still save them we don't know God's time or will we trust that to him sadly one of the false teachers prominent pastors in our community years ago uh, said if God destines who's saved and who's not, and one of my kids is destined not to be saved, I don't want that God. I'll go to hell with my kid. And in that, he reveals the very idolatry of his heart. That his love for his son is greater than his love for God. See, when we don't know, it's maybe some of our most precious beloved ones who are saved and who are not. God doesn't owe us that. It belongs to Him. We walk by faith in Him. We love them and lead them and point them to the truth. And we trust Him because His ways are perfect, because His ways are holy. He's not more loving or better because it ended up going the way I wanted it to go. I belong to Him. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't question God. What, why, why this person, not this person? No, we trust Him. And we don't try to overcome the darkness with other means of social justice or new polity or government policy is the thing we're trying to hang our hat on. No, that's just all schemes of man. The gospel is the way that hearts are illuminated and lives are changed. We have that. Church, we we continue to pray, we continue to testify, we continue to make disciples and trust the rest of the Lord. We have to see that those who are in darkness and lost in sin, their lostness, their enslavement, sin, is is their condition. They don't know where they're going, so we shouldn't follow them. We should pray for them, point them to Jesus, love them well. Testify the good news of Jesus to them. Trust God's perfect sovereign plan for them. And that salvation belongs to the Lord. The world hates the idea of God being in control. Of God being in control. Um, they, they want it all to be accessible, they want it all to be on their terms. As Christians, where do we stand on that? Are, are, do we belong to Him? Or are we who he says we are? Do we do what he tells us to do? This is what it means to love others as God has loved us. If today you are still the Lord of your own life, maybe you've been in church a long time, but even today you still call your own shots, you, you still decide what, where to go, what to do, what, yea or nay. Jesus must be your Savior and your Lord. Saving faith is not just believing about Him. Even the demons do that. It's trusting your life to Him. It's the greatest thing you could do is to die to self to live to Christ. To be refined by the Holy Spirit, matured and loved and walked with in the church. It's the command of Scripture on you that you would repent and believe and be saved. And if that is god's will for you today then share that with one of us we want to walk with you in your new faith we we want to seek the lord together Um, once god illuminates your heart trust me your life will be changed Um, and what a joy it is to be on that path with you for those of you who are belonging to jesus you've trusted your life to christ you are blood-bought family We are privileged, church, to be called out of the darkness, into the light, to steward these days God gives us for His glory, for His purposes, even when that's really tough. Love how Scripture blesses us again and again. If you're struggling because things are not quite going the way you want them to, or you're facing some real suffering, just dig into the Word. Be reminded that the most faithful who came before us really suffered. They lost their lives, their loved ones. That we're reminded that we don't live for the things of this temporal world, for our own kingdom, our own plans, hopes, die at the cross. We pick up God's plans. We we want what He wants. Changed to live for Him. Died to self and lived to Christ. And the journey of walking together to press each other into the Lord, that, that's the joy, that, that's the privilege to do that. Yesterday, with some of the brothers I'm discipling, we met in my living room and got to pray over our brother in Christ, Sam Jones, sitting right here. Sam, tomorrow at 9.30 a.m., is going to go into a serious surgery. They're going to open up his throat, push aside all of his organs, go into the spine, and remove one of the bumpers that's in there and put in a new one. That's my really astute theological term, <laughs> medical terminology. It's sketchy. It's going to change his voice for a while. That's going to be interesting. Um, he's going to be down for three months. Um, it's it's uh, it's a moment. It's a moment where we got to pray for him and remind him that none of this is his, and and the fact that there could be some real tough stuff ahead belongs to the Lord, and that so often God appoints these moments and maybe even struggles, changes in our path for His sovereign purposes. That in that, the light of the gospel goes to work. we get to make much of Christ. That in our struggle, people get to see the joy of Christ. It doesn't add up. How are you joyful when your life is so broken? You have so much pain because of Christ. Because unlike people who are in the darkness, all they have is their circumstances. We have Jesus. We see that this is momentary compared to what is eternal. This is a a wartime opportunity to serve him raise a generation to know the truths of god to mature the testimony of our marriages for the glory of god grow in disciple making and serving others church belongs to him all this is for him so when we come to these crossroad moments we get a walk by faith and our deepest prayer for sam is not not get him through it lord and let the doctors do a good job that he would be safe and healthy and whole we pray for all that because God's word tells us we should and we believe he's able to do that but you know what our biggest prayer is that God would use this use this appointment this time this season this turn in the road for his perfect purposes and ready Sam and us to walk with him through that whatever it might mean for God's glory that's our biggest prayer Use it for your purposes. Use me, my family, for you, Lord. May we love our brothers, church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so prove that we belong to the light. There's an abiding in the Lord, and there's no cause for stumbling. May this be our our reality. May this be our testimony for any of the days that God ordains for us until He takes us home. And on that day, graduation. Amen? What a joy it is to walk with you, to serve Christ with you um, in these things. Um, I want to pray. We're going to praise God together before we go. And I want to share something with you before we get out of here. Father, we thank you for this day. This time in your word. An opportunity to submit ourselves to Your Word. For we belong to You. and you, Your ways are good and perfect and true. And we, we want to know You as, as You are, as You reveal Yourself, not as we want You to be. And we, we want to bear the fruit that it is to be in Christ, to obey Your Word, to love others. We want to love those that You put around us enough to not embrace the compromise of their own thinking to think that there's different ways they can be okay with God or pursue life in Christianity but that we would be willing to love them in truth even when that's hard and that for some in the room even where there might be superficial faith or uh, hanging their hat on on something that's more religious than it is transforming and what it is to really know Jesus that you would illuminate dead hearts and bring truly saving faith and transformation, life change, to what it means to serve you and follow you and worship you. We're overwhelmed at your grace. When we see the guilt of our sin before the holiness of God, that we don't say, why don't you save more? We're boggled that you would save any. And yet your grace... And the sacrifice of Jesus huh, brings us to this sweet place of just grateful worship, devotion to you. Father, help my brothers and sisters here to abide in you, to not, to not let Sunday be done with service, but to, that there be a, an ongoing longing for your word, to, to mature in your truths, to live together as the body and practicing the one another's and the joy it is to make disciples and raise a generation for your glory oh we love you and we need you move mightily in and through us for your glory and many others good hear us as we worship you now in jesus name we pray amen